The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Fourth episode, thank you. Uh, you want to find the book of John. If you in your Bibles, mobile device, you can just navigate there. It's what we call the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 2. Find verse 23. John 2, 23. You can, uh, there's Bibles around the room today if you didn't have your own with you. Uh, somebody a couple weeks ago said, well, I don't have a Bible. I said, well, just take that home. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, take the home with you. If you want a great Bible, um, go to our Lost and Found because somebody left a great Bible in there and they've left it there for a long time. You get a really nice leather covered one. It'd be awesome. Um, you can steal at church if you steal a Bible, right? Yeah. John 2, 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. probably turn that on. Hey, we're going to talk about stealing today, so you probably shouldn't steal those Bibles that Steve just told you about. Don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's right. If you need a Bible, take that home with you, please. That is for you guys. So, what if, what if dying to yourself was the thing that will actually save your life? That's not confusing at all, right? That's not a paradox if I've ever heard one. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. So let's sit on that question for a minute. I want to pray over our time together. We're going to use the most powerful tool that we have. As Steve talked about this prayer night that we did on Friday, we want to give this time to God. And so if you join me real quick, Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for every person that you've brought into this room today. When we could be doing a thousand and one other things, we're here. Take away our distractions. Lord, speak to us, whatever it is that we need to hear, each one of us today, that we would just be made known. We give you this time. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we've been taking the last four weeks or so to go through this series. What if, what if Jesus meant what he said when he said, fill in the blank? Or what if this is actually true? What if this is all real? And today the question is from this story of Nicodemus, which we're not going to dive too much into, but I really love this story because it highlights something that's incredibly important, um, and I believe if we're not careful and we miss it, it could be something that's detrimental to our faith. Whether you're really new to this thing or you've been growing up in church, uh, a church grower your entire life, we cannot miss this and we have to be careful. And, and it's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, you have to be born again. And the implication there is that something has to die. 
right? In order for something to be born again, something actually has to die. And so what is Jesus talking about? And you can sense Nicodemus' confusion here. What are you talking about? This doesn't make sense. And so to give you a little bit of context on this story, uh, Nicodemus, you've probably heard that name before. He was a Pharisee, as it says here. Pharisees were a sect of religious leaders during this time uh, when Jesus was teaching and, and alive. Um, and Nicodemus, he's one of these Pharisees. He sneaks off in the night. We're not really sure why it was that night. There's kind of some mystery there. Was he scared, right? We're not really sure. But he goes off to find Jesus to ask some questions. What, what is this thing all about? And you see what he says to Jesus. He says all the right things that you'd think someone that's following God would say. We believe that God sent you. We agree with your teachings. We've seen your miracles. And Jesus, without even having to ask a question, already knows what's inside Nicodemus' heart. He knows that he's missing something. It's the response that Jesus says. You will not enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And again, the implication for us there is that something has to die. But what does that mean? Something is missing. And so um, I love this family member of mine. It's my wife's cousin. Um, he is just uh, such a ball of fun to be around. But this dude, he knows everything about everything that you could possibly know about sports. Like, everything. I'm not even kidding you. We'll go to family gatherings sometimes at Thanksgiving and sit down with the dude and be like, hey, tell me uh, how many Super Bowl rings does this quarterback have? And he'll tell you. Tell me the stats on this, on this player. How many touchdowns do they have? He will tell you everything about sports. The dude cannot fail. And it's impressive when you listen to this dude. But the question that I ask myself whenever he talks, I go... What's the point of all that knowledge if you're not actually getting out there and playing on the field? What is the point of all of this knowledge if you're not actually playing? What, what's the worth in all of that? And I think it's kind of a similar position that Nicodemus and maybe some of us today might find ourselves in. Maybe we found ourselves here for a long time. Man, I'm, I'm a big fan of who Jesus is. I know a lot about him. I've heard all the stories. I've seen his miracles. I even believe that God sent him. But in order for us to move from fans to followers of Jesus, something has to die. And he makes that very clear here for Nicodemus, and it's very, made very clear to us as well. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning, church, together, is what this idea is. What, what are we dying to? And you may have heard some, some of these phrases that we say in church a lot, like dying to sin, dying to the flesh. Maybe some of you hear that, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. That makes no sense, right? And so I want to maybe help us just, just kind of lay the foundation for what the heck we're even talking about. What does Jesus mean here? And I think that Jesus actually says it for us very well in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. I'll read it for you. He says this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Hmm. So, in practice, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that by dying to something is that we actually are surrendering something. We're giving something up. And so the question that maybe we can just wrestle with as we talk this morning that you can start to think about is this. What is that thing that you're holding on to for dear life that you're just not willing to surrender up to God? What is that thing that you just cannot let go of? I'm not ready to let go. I'm not ready to surrender that up. 
And I, I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 about this. We're going to camp out there a lot, so you can find that in your Bibles today. Ephesians chapter 4. It's, a, a little, it's like a little more than three quarters past those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 21. This is what Paul has to say about this. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Right? So what, what, what is Paul saying? He's saying throw off that old way of life. But what does that mean? What is this old life? What is this sinful nature that Paul is talking about here? You're going to have some notes, uh, some fill in the blanks on your note sheet that you were handed when you came in. You can start to write some of these things down. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what that first point is real quick. The first thing that we are dying to, this first thing that we are surrendering, throwing off as Paul talks about is rebellion and wrongdoing. Rebellion and wrongdoing. And I want to talk about what that means real quick. And so it, if, you, if you didn't know, if you've heard this word sin, right, that ugly three-letter word that we don't like to talk about that much, right, all sin is is rebellion against God. That's all it is. At its, at its simplest form, it's, it's a rebellion against who God is. It's a rebellion against what God says. When God says, go this way, you're saying, no, thanks, I'm going to go my way. I've got this. It's turning our backs on God and what he has to say about life, about how to live. Um, and so what we say then by surrendering to that, by dying to that rebellion, is simply saying, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm done doing that. I, I'm ready to stop turning my back on you. I'm ready to listen to what it is that you have to say for me. Right? And we don't have nearly enough time this morning to cover the entire spectrum of what kind of sin we're talking about. But I do want to walk you through a few things that I think are important um, and, and again, this is not just like the big things, right? This is not just murder or adultery or re you, those, those really big sins that we like to think about or that we like to point out. It's actually the little things that we tend to neglect in our own lives that we don't really think about that much. Paul continues here in Ephesians chapter 4, continuing in verse 25. This is what he says. So stop telling lies. Can we start there? Maybe we should stop telling some of those little white lies. Oh, come on, it's not really hurting anybody. It's actually helping that person. I just don't want to be mean. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell the truth there, right? Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Oh, there's another one. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you were a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Been bitter about anything lately, church? Maybe it's that thing that that person said or did that just really got under your skin. 
You've been hanging on to that thing for a while? Yep, that's what Paul's talking about here. Ever gone to, to bed still really mad about something that somebody did or said, right? And yet these are some of the things that we just neglect. It's the little things. Or we tend to justify it. Oh, come on, that's not that, that big of a deal, Justin. It's just a little bit of gossip. It's not that bad. And yet these are the kinds of things that God is saying, be careful and put it to death. Not just let it hang around, right? Uh, a good friend of mine, Byron, some of you know him, he says, don't be petting your sin. Don't be letting it hang around where you're just kind of petting it, right? Like when it comes around, you just, I'm not ready to, to kill that thing off yet. I just, I want to let it hang around, right? Scripture's making it very clear for us. Some things have to die. We have to take sin that seriously. And it's not just the big things. It's the little things. And I love that Paul talks about these little things. Why, church? Because that means that none of us in this room are in the clear. <laughs> Each one of us are in the same boat. And that's not to say you're awful, you're terrible, but it's to say, look, we all have some things that we have to die to, you and me alike. Whether you're new to this thing or you've been going to church your whole life, there will be things that will continually reveal themselves to say, that God is saying, that needs to die, that needs to die. You're missing that. Be careful there. And it's a continuous thing that's going to happen for us. But we all have something today that we need to die to. And maybe for you, you've already got that thing on the, in the front of your mind. You're like, yep, there it is. For some of us, we might need to do a little bit of searching to say, what am I missing? God, how have I been rebelling against you lately? What are some of those areas that I'm not quite thinking about where I'm like, oh, I'm good? God's like, you sure? There's some things that I'm still trying to work on. There's a, a great movie that came out a long time ago, a long time ago now. Yeah, I, I forget I'm getting older, right? It's called Anger Management. It's with Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. Some of you have probably seen that. It's a hilarious movie. It's so funny. But there's this scene that I love so much that kind of leads us to, into our next point. Um, the, uh, Adam Sandler attends this anger management meeting, and Jack Nicholson's the therapist. And he asks this initial question. He says, so Dave, tell us who you are. And Adam Sandler, he goes, well, I'm a business executive. And Jack Nicholson cuts him off. He goes, no, 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 I don't want to know what your profession is. Just tell us who you are. And so Adam Sandler, he starts describing things about him, his hobbies, his interests. Jack Nicholson keeps cutting him off. He's like, I don't want to hear about that. Just, it's just simple. Just tell us who you are. Who are you? And Adam Sandler gets frustrated. I don't know what you want me to say, right? And uh, it's this funny scene, but it's, it's, such a, it's such a provoking question when you think about it. And if someone were to ask you that today, church, tell us who you are. Who are you? What's your identity? What would you say you are? Would it be your job? Would it be your interests? Would it be your hobbies? Um, what are those things that have become such a strong identity in your life that you say that's who you are? Um, I'm not sure if you caught it here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. I love what Paul says. I'm going to reread it. He says, remember, God has identified you as his own. You know what that means, church? That means that your identity is not supposed to be caught up in anything else besides the fact that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And sure, some of those other things are important. We'll talk about that. So that leads us to our next point. You can write this down on your note sheet. The second thing that we need to be putting to death besides rebellion and wrongdoing is identity and idolatry. Identity and idolatry. <clears throat> a good way to start thinking about this maybe is this question, what's the most important thing in your life? 
If you were to sit and think about that today, what is the most important thing in your life? Or what's that thing that you spend most of your time and your energy thinking about, devoted to? What is that? What is that for you? Um, if you're still not sure, uh, just go on your phone, uh, go to your recent Amazon order history, or go look at your bank account statement, and that ought to tell you what some of the most important things are in your life. What are you spending most of your time, your money, your energy thinking about, engaged in? Is it your job? Like Adam Sandler, is that the first thing that you say? Is it that I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a spouse? Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe some things have just taken such a big priority in your life, saying that's who I am. And God's going to challenge that for us today, church. We need to be careful with this idea, though, because if, if we're not, we start to say, so what are you saying, Justin? Those things aren't important? Well, surely being a parent's important, so what are you, what are you trying to tell us here? And, and I'm not trying to tell you that some of these things are bad. Some of those things are bad. You shouldn't, your, your, uh, your identity should not be caught up in your wealth or your power, right? But some of these things are really good. Some of these things are, are things that God even calls us to do, to be engaged in, right? So what, what do we mean? Um, your job makes a crummy God. You make a crummy God when you try and do it on your own. Your sexuality makes a crummy God. Your money makes a crummy God. Your power and your influence at work, that makes a crummy God. And so that's, that's the idea that we're trying to paint here, you guys. And for me, it's, man, on my own, I make a crummy dad. Because if I'm trying to do that on my own, if that's where my identity is caught up in, man, I am going to fail. Any parents here today just feel like you are just killing it, man. Like you have not gotten frustrated with your kids at all. You, you just, you love them. They're amazing. And they just, you have this, you never mess up. You never make any mistakes, right? Yeah, none of us that have had kids for more than five minutes would say that, right? These kids are frustrating. And we're imperfect, right? We cannot do it on our own, church. And yet, sometimes we find ourselves operating in this position where we say, no, 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 God, I got it. And God sits back, he's like, okay. We'll see how long this lasts. And then we inevitably, whether it's parenthood or anything else, he steps back and he goes, are you finished yet? Are you ready to get off the throne and let me get back up there? Are you ready to take that thing off the throne that's become such an identity for you? And let me lead you instead. Let me guide you instead. I don't know if you thought about this church. He created the universe and holds everything in the palm of his hands. I think it's time that we start trusting him enough to actually lead us. I think he's been doing this good enough for a long time. And we are just not that good at it. Right? You ready to take your spouse and kids off the throne? Ready to take your job off the throne? You ready, ready to take the Sunday football game off the throne? And again, church, don't just, don't just hear this and say, those are bad things. That's not the idea that I'm trying to paint. Um, the idea is this. Don't let good things become God things. Don't let good things become God things because they make crummy gods. Can we just pause for a second? And kind of just level with you and recognize how difficult this is. Man, you might be sitting here with that thing, and you might be frustrated in that right now, like, mm-mm, no way. 
And I'm just telling you, church, God will challenge each one of us in different ways to say, what's on the throne? Is it me or is it something else? And for me, I have those things too. And so I'm not saying, standing here today to say this is easy or it's going to just be like, oh, yeah, it's hard. It's an incredibly difficult process. Sometimes it's called dying to some things because sometimes it will literally feel like it's killing you. Like, I cannot do this. This is so difficult and hard. It's what Jesus said. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. You remember that verse? Pick up your cross and follow me. I tried to put this cross up here for the prayer day on Friday. I couldn't do it by myself. Jesus never said how heavy that thing was going to be. I don't know if I can do that, Lord. I don't know if I want to pick up that cross and follow you. I don't know if I'm ready to put some of those things to death. And yet again, he will challenge us to say, what has become your identity? What is that thing that you're worshiping above me? Are you ready to let me get back onto the throne? And, and then the question I always think is like, why is this so hard? Why do we have such a hard time with this? There's, there's plenty of factors. And one of the ones that I was thinking about is that it's, it literally goes against the grain of, of, our, of the culture that you and I live in, church. We live in a day and age where it's all about you. Right? It's you do you. It's all under this banner of individualism, right? You guys heard that, right? It's, it's you live your best life, stay true to yourself, right? And that's all nonsense, man, because we're watching this next generation come up that's the most lonely and anxious and depressed generation that we've ever seen. And you want to know why? Because we don't know what we're doing. We weren't meant to do it by ourselves. And so it's no wonder that they're struggling because they're saying, you just, you do it, you got it. And we don't got it. That's the whole thing. We don't got it. You think that you and I have been on this earth long enough to think that we know what we're doing and that God might not know a, lot, a little bit better than us? We have to get off the throne. We have to take identity off the throne. We have to take the other things that we worship, our idols, off of the throne and let the creator of the universe take his rightful place back. And it's not easy, church, again. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And we're going to talk about that some more soon. But the last question I want you guys to think about, it'll be the, another point there on your note sheet. Not a fill-in, but it's there. I think that there's a lot of power when we don't just think about these things and go, oh, yeah, I'll get to that later. And then you go home and watch the game and you forget about it 10 minutes later. I think there's some importance on actually writing this down and putting it on paper. So the question for you guys, and you can write this down for yourself, is what is that thing that you need to put to death? What is that thing? Maybe it is some rebellion or wrongdoing. Maybe it's that little thing you just haven't been thinking about. Maybe your identity has been caught up in something you're like, man, that thing is failing me, and I need to let God take his rightful place back. I need to worship him instead of worshiping that thing or worshiping my kids, worshiping my spouse. The question for you is, what is that? What is that for you today, church? You would take some time and think about that for yourself and, and, and start to allow God's space to work on that thing. And to go through that difficult dying process, but recognizing that it's so worth it. And so, I want to talk about the worth of that now. How are you guys feeling? Doing all right? Yeah. It's pretty heavy. That's a lot, I know. But now we'll get to the good stuff. So here's the invitation that God gives to us. When Jesus said, give up your life for my sake and you'll find it, this is the invitation that he's extending to us. Um, if you've ever thought about God's commandments, right? If you've ever opened up the Bible and you've seen God say, do this, don't do this, go over here, stay away from there, and you've ever wondered why, why does God give us these commandments? Um, what we can gather is that there's two pretty big reasons 
two big purposes why God tells us to either do things or to not do things, okay? So the first question in analogy is this. Why do you tell a four-year-old, participate with me here, why do you tell a four-year-old not to run out into the street to get their ball? So, what? Say again? You know, the outcome. you know the outcome, which is what? They're going to get hit by a car. So what are you doing by giving them that rule? Protecting. protecting them. That's right. You are protecting them. You didn't just decide to make up a rule and be like, here you go. <laughs> now you got to listen to that, right? Like, no, there's a, there's a point and a purpose behind the rule. There's a very good purpose behind that command. I want to protect you. I want to keep you safe. And the same thing applies to, the, the, to God's commandments for us, church. God doesn't just give us pointless rules and commands. It's to protect us from the destruction that sin causes in our lives. And if, you, if you're like not really sure about that, can we just stop and maybe collectively agree for a second, whether you, you're, you've been a part of this church thing for a long time or not, sin has been pretty destructive to the world that you and I live in. Would you guys agree? Damaging and destroying relationships, pain, suffering, I mean, you name it, sin has caused a lot of trouble around us. I don't think it takes many of us to recognize that that's very true, and God wants to protect you and I from that. He wants to protect us from that destruction. Um, there's an old movie, again, another old movie that's old now. It's called God's Not Dead. Most of you have probably seen that. It's one of those cheesy Christian films, right? But there's a really good scene in there that I love so much. I remember watching it for the first time, and it blew my world. It blew me away, rocked my world, and I've, I've been hanging on to it ever since. Uh, we're going to watch it here in just a sec. But before we do, I just want to kind of, if you haven't seen the movie, it's this son who's not uh, a Christian, and it's his mom who's got dementia. She hasn't talked in a long time. Um, she's a Christian, and it's the scene where they're interacting together. And I want you to watch it real quick. It's great. You prayed and believed your whole life. Never done anything wrong. And here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble. Because he doesn't want them turning to God. Your sin is like a jail cell accepted. It's all nice and comfy and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. The door is wide open. Till one day, time runs out. The cell door slams shut. And suddenly, too late. <laughs> Who did you say you were? Every time I watch that scene, it's haunting, 
and eye-opening for me. And and it goes back to this idea, church, that God, he wants to protect us. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to recognize that. And I know that we're imperfect and we still miss that sometimes, but we have to realize. He's saying, look, you don't know what lays at the end of that path. And I know right now it doesn't make sense why I'm telling you not to do that. And maybe for some of us today, you're in a spot where you've experienced that destruction, but some of you might not have yet. Some of you might be in a place where you're like, I don't see what's so bad about this. It's actually great. It feels awesome. Sin's great. Sin's always great at first, church. That's the whole part of it. We wouldn't engage in sin if it didn't feel good or if it didn't work for a little bit. But God's saying, I know what lays at the end of that. I want to protect you from that. Do you trust me? Do you want to listen to me? And this is the first reason why God gives us his commandments. I love this quote from John Owen. He was an old theologian. This will be the next point on your note sheet. You can write this in. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And it's, it's true, church. He, God is not just giving you commands Again, like the four-year-old running into the street just to give you another rule to follow. He's saying, do you know what's going to happen if you continue down that road? And I want to save you from that. I want to rescue from that. And so again, we're not tweaking or modifying things. It's the idea, put it to death. Do not let that thing hang around. Be killing your sin or it will start to kill you. Be taking it that seriously. And I know that this has been pretty heavy, but now is where things are going to get happy, okay? I promise. Okay, so that's the first, one of the first purposes behind God's commands for us, okay? And here's the second. So if the first purpose is that God wants to protect you and I from sin, when God says, do this, you know the second purpose is? He's saying, I want to give you something so much better. I want to give you the best and most fulfilling and satisfying life possible. And so, look, Stay away from there. Why? Because that's worthless and that's nothing. Come over here where I've got so much better for you. I've got something so much more in store for you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? I have something better for you. This is the second purpose behind God's commands, church. He wants to protect you and I from sin and he wants to give us the best life possible. That's why. That's why. You and I are always pursuing something right? Whether we realize it or not, we're always pursuing something that we're hoping is going to satisfy us, right? Something that we hope will fulfill us, whether it's relationships, whether it's the new job, whether it's money. Um, For a long time, it was the American dream, right? I feel like that's long gone now, but that was what it was for a while was this. It's the white picket fence, the four-bedroom house, the family, right? If I just get that, man, life's going to be great. And then for some of us that got there, It lasted for about two minutes before we're like, well, there's still something missing that actually didn't solve anything. I thought it would, and I've been chasing and chasing and chasing, and it's not enough. And God wants to give us something so much more. I love to hear what some famous celebrities say about some of this stuff. Jim Carrey has a great quote. It'll be up on the screen. He says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous in everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. Robin Williams had some similar things to say before 
he passed away, and it was really sad if you had been following Robin Williams for a long time to watch this person who had so much notoriety and so, such a great reputation for bringing so much joy to people's lives for being so lonely towards the end of his life. Uh, some people argue back against these quotes and things and ideas from celebrities like, okay, that's really easy for Jim Carrey to say that that stuff's not going to solve all my problems, right? Because he's got all of it, yet here I am. I've got a lot of stuff that I still want, man. Maybe if I just got it, it would fix some stuff. It's really easy for a celebrity to say that. And so I get that. So I like to see what Scripture has to say about this. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you guys can flip there. I think the verses will be up on screen if not. But Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 9, this is what King Solomon has to say about the idea. And if you don't know who Solomon was, Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived besides Jesus. The wisest person. God gave Solomon an insane amount of wisdom. Uh, why? Because he asked for it. When God said, I'll give you anything that you want, instead of asking for things, Solomon said, God, I just, I don't know how to do this. I want to lead your people well. Help me do that. And so God gave him this wisdom and everything to his heart's content. And so he was rich and wealthy and powerful. In, this, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you have not read it, Solomon goes kind of on this personal journey to really figure out what the meaning of life is. What is the purpose behind everything? And in, in chapter 2, verse 9, this is what he says. Right? Verse 9? Yes. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. Man, imagine a life like that. Anything I wanted, I would take. Don't you think that would satisfy? Don't you think that would be fulfilling? I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And if a man like Solomon, who spent a good chunk of his life pursuing and chasing just to see what is going to fix this problem, would we just be able to learn from his example, church, to say, stop chasing after the things that can't satisfy you. Just stop. God has something so much better in store for us. I love another great story. It comes from John chapter 4. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Most of you are probably familiar with that story. Um, Jesus goes into this village. There's a, a woman at a well, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she goes, why are you asking me for a drink? Why? And in John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus' response to her is if you only knew the gift God has for you, I'm going to say that again. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And that seems like a confusing term, like living water. What, what does that mean? And that's not the only time that that term is described through Scripture. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 2 as well. I want to read that too. This is God speaking to us. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11 God says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, 
the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. God is saying, look, church, I see you pursuing and chasing after things like these cracked cisterns that literally just leak. They don't actually fulfill or satisfy anything. And my people have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. It's this living water that Jesus says it will never run dry. It's something that will always satisfy, that will never stop, that no matter how often you pursue it, how much you chase, God will always continue to satisfy and fulfill you. And my question to you today, church, is do you believe that? Do you actually believe that God has that living water for you? And are you done chasing after things that just don't work? God's saying, come on, I've got more for you. I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. He says, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. I love that. The Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So when he sees us chasing things, he goes, really? That's what you want? You want to settle for that? That little insignificant thing that was actually a sign that was supposed to direct you back to me in the first place? You want that instead of what I have to offer you? And this is the invitation that's been extended to us, church. This is the invitation that's been extended by God saying, put your sin to death, die to yourself, because I have something better for you. Do you want that? And he doesn't call us to do this, church, because he's a cruel God that wants to make us squirm. He calls us to die to things because he wants to give us more more than we can ever possibly imagine. Fullness of life and satisfaction that only he can offer. It's only made available through him. I don't know how much more clear he can make it for us. I was listening to a podcast a while back. It was a podcast of this professor from Oxford University, very smart guy, um, has studied the Bible for a very long time, right? And so you think about some intellectual people like that, like Nicodemus, like these Pharisees in, the story, in, the, in our first story, very smart, very knowledgeable. He was asked a question by the reporter. He said, so professor, tell us why, why do you follow Jesus? Such a simple question. Why do you follow Jesus? And if you could imagine any response that the professor would give, this really smart guy, he says, I follow Jesus because he changed my life and this thing actually works. I follow Jesus because he changed my life and because this thing actually works, right? This is not just learning something new. This thing actually works. And this is what I want you guys to to understand, church, we're not just here every weekend to present you guys new ideas on how to be better people, how to have a better moral system, because here's the thing, there's about a thousand other world religions that could show you how to do that if you're interested, if that's what you want. We're here every weekend to tell you that Jesus changes lives, that this thing actually works, that this is not just us talking about ideas. It's here to say, God wants to change your life. Do you want that? Do you want to be changed? Do you want to experience what he has to offer you? That's why we're here, church. Jesus will change your life. That's the last point on your note sheet. You can write that down. Jesus will change your life. And there are so many living testimonies and stories of that just in this room sitting around you. That if you've never heard some of those stories, I would just want to at least share mine with you. For 16 years, I was this scrawny little kid. I didn't hit five foot until I was a sophomore in high school, church. 
I was a short little kid. I grew up with a skin disease that left scales all over my legs and my arms, just exposed to ridicule from people, always bullied, always feeling like I was in emotional turmoil, always angry, just this angry little kid. Why was I angry? Because I want you to hurt the way that you've hurt me. And that's how I spent my childhood toward people, so upset, so lonely, so sad. But then Jesus came, and he changed everything. And he doesn't just tweak and modify things. He, he brings new life. It's what Paul said in Ephesians. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and put on your new nature. That's a brand new life, church. That's what Jesus has to offer you. My youth leaders all tell me I have what's called serial joy now. <laughs> they say when anything's going on, I'm just always smiling. They're like, why are you smiling right now? This is a pretty serious situation. I'm like, yep, we're going to be all right, right? But I have this, this serial joy. But that was not always the case in my life. But that's what Jesus changed. Jesus took away the anger and the sadness and the loneliness and brought new life and joy and peace and fulfillment that's only found in him. And church, that's just one example of a life that's changed by Jesus. And that's why we're here every week, and that's why we got to celebrate a baptism last night for someone to say, Jesus changed my life, and I want you to know. And this is the offer that's been put on the table for your church. He's saying, I can change it. I can give you more than what you're chasing after. Do you want it? Do you believe that I have that in store for you? That's what God's asking us this morning. Do you believe that I have more to offer you? And that's the invitation that's extended to us, church. Do you believe that? Do you want to take that offer that's put on the table? And then as we start to wrap up, the, the question is, okay, so how do we do this thing? See, because dying to my sin, that sounds like a lot of hard work, and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. So how do I do that? I don't even know where to start, man. Because for some of you, it might just be one thing. You're like, yeah, I can work on that. For some of you, you've already got a whole list of things. You're like, I don't even know where to start. There's so much that I have to die to. There's so much that needs to change. So what do we do? How do we start? Well, it starts with confession and surrender. We talked about that a bit, surrender. But it's, it's confessing it and saying, God, I'm ready to die to that. Would you take that? I'm ready to let go of that. I've been holding on to that for so long. That rebellion, that identity, that idolatry, I'm ready to let that go. Take that and change me. And then here's the thing, church. It's not a one-time thing. You don't just say a prayer like that and ask for it to happen one time. It's a daily, continuous process that you're going to have to go through. And, and, right, you might get one thing done and be like, all right, I'm all good. And then you wake up the next week and you're like, shoot, man, I didn't even see that. And God's like, okay, let's work on that. Okay, we're done there. All right, let's get to work on that. It's, gonna, it's going to be a continuous process. It, 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 and that's actually the way that God designed it to be. You know that? It's called sanctification. It's this slow, continuous process of God slowly changing you to look more like him, putting on that new life to look more like him and not like your old self and that former way of life. And that doesn't stop until the day that you and I leave this earth. It's a continuous process. So here's the thing with that. Be patient with yourself. Show yourself some grace, because God already did. He's saying, we'll get there, right? If you're feeling bombarded, and you're feeling like it's just impossible to get going on some of those things, be patient with yourself. God's already shown you that grace and that patience, but let's get after some things. Let's take it seriously and actually get started. Let's practice. 
I like, I'm such a C.S. Lewis nerd, so I'm sorry. I've got another C.S. Lewis quote for you. I like what he says about this. It'll be up on the screen. It says, a Christian is not a man who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. Our worship team is going to make their way up as we start to wrap things up. And as they're making their way up on stage, I want to just read one final verse with you guys. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is Paul writing. If you remember Paul, Paul was the guy that was uh, imprisoning and persecuting Christians before Jesus changed his life. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. And so mind you, Paul is writing this for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that's the hope for you and I today, Crosspoint. Man, the way that things were. And for some of you, you're like, thank God that's, that's gone. Thank God that this new life has begun and I can experience what God has for me. And church, you and I are enabled to do that today only because of what God decided to do for you and me on that cross by sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your and my sin. Not for really awesome people, but for all of us. So that means each one of you today, no matter what you've walked in here with today, no matter you're like, there's no way that God could save that, there's no way he could redeem that, it's just not true. He gave up his life for each of us. And so we invite you today to take that offer, Crosspoint. If you were dragged here by a friend and you're not really sure about this thing, if you've been on the fence, you're not sure about Jesus, talk to us about that. Our prayer team's gonna be in the back of the house this morning. You can go pray with them. I'm gonna be here in the front. You can come pray with me. And if you're ready to make this decision to say, God, I want what you have to offer. I'm done chasing after this. I want what you have. We will seal the deal and make that happen today with you, church. The invitation is put out on the table. Do you want it? Do you want it? So we're going to take some time right now to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus for what he did. We invite you to the four corners of the room where you'll find communion tables where we take this piece of bread and this juice to remember not who we are, not how awesome I am, but how good and incredible God is for what he did for me. So Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much. I ask that you would stir in each person's heart here today. Whatever it is that they need, would you make it evident and known that we praise you and lift you up for all that you've done. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.